0: I suppose you can all see that we pronounce it atonement. It really means at one bent or at oneness, bringing back together that which was broken, bringing back to its original, that which has been Devastated, now, I know this is not a new subject for all of you. I know that you know a lot about atonement already, and I don't have anything really new for you, and yet, in some ways, I don't think we really quite get atonement and And when I say that, I say that in reference to I mean, this morning, as I had this on my heart, and as I saw what all happened so far this morning, I saw atonement everywhere. I saw the work of atonement. I saw you having been changed by the atonement. And so I know you know a lot about atonement. And yet, there is more. There is more than you and I can understand. More than I understand. And if in some ways I feel like you feel like I'm pointing fingers at you this morning or anything, in any way, I just want to make sure you understand from the get-go that, you know, I fully understand that this finger is for you and maybe this is you plural and this is me, myself and I, you know. So yeah, one word for you and three for me, you know. I need this as much as any of you. I know that I fall short of atonement. I fall short of being truly at one with God. We all do. And that's why I want to talk about it this morning. That we might press into being one with Him more Christ-like, more one with our Creator than ever before. It's like an athlete, perhaps, that's just trying to push the bar one inch further, in spite of the fact that we have so far to go. Well, as I said, you probably all know... um, so much about atonement, you know, you think of the first verse that comes to my mind on this is uh, John 3.16, you know, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him might have eternal life. A wonderful thing. And yet, sort of goes over our heads, doesn't it? And we think of First John 1 John 1-9, you know, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, that's pretty wonderful. And I know that you know all about those things. And, and, and we have so many beautiful songs that we sing regularly and I'm just going to read a couple of them for you because they say it so wonderfully. And we all know these things. We are all convinced of them. Christ has for sin atonement made. We are redeemed. The price is paid. I praise him for the cleansing blood that reconcile my soul to God. He cleansed my heart from all its sin and now he reigns and rules therein. He gives me overcoming power and triumph in each trying hour. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. Yeah. I know you sing that song with a heart full many times. Great high priest, we view thee stooping with our names upon thy breast and in the garden groaning, drooping to the ground with horrors pressed. Holy angels stood confounded to behold their maker thus. And can we remain unmoved when we know twas all for us? I don't know if we know that song, uh, but I like that verse. What a wonderful, wonderful Savior. Hallelujah for the blood, for the sin cleansing fountain, for the lamb has been slain and the ransom price paid. Fully canceled was the debt when on Calvary's mountain all the sins of this world upon Jesus were laid. Hallelujah for the blood. Sing for joy, all ye nations, and rejoice that the work of redemption is done. Here is pardon, free for all, and a perfect salvation through the sin-cleansing blood of the crucified one. Hallelujah for the blood. Hallelujah forever. We shall sing it anew in the kingdom of God, where the anthems of delight shall be silent never. Evermore, hallelujah for the, for Christ and the blood. There was no arm to save. There was no eye to pity until Jesus, our savior from glory came down. He was mighty to save. He was strong to deliver. He has brought us salvation. A robe. And a crown. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sing the triumphant strain. Hallelujah for the blood. And the lamb. That was slain. Yeah, we know all about it, don't we? And yet, not quite. You see, I believe that if we really saw perfectly, we would live perfectly. Right? If we really saw perfectly, we would live perfectly. And I believe that the better you understand salvation, the more effective it is in preventing sin. And as I said, I need this as much as anyone. This morning, I'd like you to think about uh, a situation that I don't know if I've ever really seen, but I've heard about. Uh, Cold winter morning. You go outside and your car is all covered with ice and snow, especially the windshield. You want to drive somewhere and you can't because the ice, it's all iced over. You got to get that ice off of the windshield. And so you know you you get a bucket of uh, hot water and you splash it on the windshield to you know melt that ice all off. I don't know if any of you have ever done that. But uh, what can happen, does happen sometimes, is the ice goes, but the whole windshield shatters. If you've ever done that, I know what you did next. You said, whoa, I'll never do that again. (laughs) Now... It's okay to use water to, to clean a windshield, but make sure it's cold water. Uh, cold water won't crack the windshield so quick. Uh, but what happens is when you take that bucket of hot water and splash it on the windshield, the glass expands so quickly that it can't keep up with itself and cracks go all over the windshield. And your windshield would be ruined. And, uh, well, you might know a little bit about what it costs to replace a windshield, and uh, you will, if you ever done that, you will surely say to yourself, I'll never do that again. Okay? Okay? Maybe you can think of some other situations where you have done something and suddenly said, oh, I'll never do that again. Can you think of a thing like that? When something, when you do something and something, and catastrophic happens yeah and you say well I'll learn from that that'll be the last time I ever do that and that's good and probably you never will do that again if you crack the windshield like I was saying you'd probably never do it again why is it not that way with sin? Why is it that though we understand and know the catastrophic things that happen because we sin, yet we don't really never do that again? Well, let's go back to the windshield. Supposing that uh, whenever you do this, throwing hot water on the windshield, it doesn't always really crack the windshield. Not always. And if it does crack, if it does crack, all you need to do is say, oops, that didn't work too well. And, uh, and then it would just be like it was new again. You know, the cracks would all just heal right up again. All you need to do is say, oops, that wasn't good. Okay? Of course, I'm making up this. But if you could do that, would that equal, no, I'll never do that again? It wouldn't, would it? Yeah, even if you know it was rough, you know, not a good idea, you wouldn't get that feeling of, No, I'll never do that again. Because there wouldn't be much cost to it. You know, you can always just say that real easy. And if you can fix it that easily, well, then, yeah, you know. And that is precisely how some people live their Christian lives today. To our shame and to our great disgrace, that is the way some Christians live they live, First John 1, 9-ing it, you know, forget, confess our sins and then he forgives us and and then we go on and we do it again. Oh, yeah, that wasn't very good. I'm sorry. I shouldn't do that, you know. And we go on. <coughs> you know, just as if we could fix a cracked windshield by saying, oops, that wasn't very good, was it? And then, you know, the windshield's fixed. Just like magic. You see what danger we are with this modern atonement that has been made for us that we fail to get the cost. We fail to get the cost. And so it was. Maybe I don't know. um, Yeah, you would think that We should get it quicker than that, but we don't. In the Old Testament, you know, God showed us from the beginning how graphic. He showed us graphically how bad sin was. Even in the garden, when Adam Eve sin, and they suddenly figured out that they were naked. So God made them clothes. And it seems to me, I I believe that the Bible says that he gave them coats of skins, which meant that he got some animals and he killed them in front of them. I believe, and took those skins and put them on Adam and Eve. And I believe part of that was to show Adam and Eve that something must die for that. Maybe you remember the message that Brother Eldon Miller shared. I don't know if you remember that. So Probably most of you do. And one day he was up here and he had this little pigeon. You remember? This pet pigeon. And then he wrung off its head. And some of you gasped. You remember what that felt like? Oh, killed that thing right there. Blood. Yeah. Jarring. Jarring. It should be. It's exactly what God intended about atonement. Your atonement cost life. That's what it took. It was intended to be jarring. And then their sacrifices went on for thousands of years. And many times I have wondered why the Old Testament occupied 4,000 years. Have you often wondered that? Well, I believe God was trying to get it through to us how devastating sin is. And if you look at, the, I don't know, I've been spending some time here this week reading. I read through Exodus and Leviticus. Exodus and Leviticus, just full of sacrifices and sacrifices and sacrifices and sacrifices and rituals and more rituals. And I mean, you could be unclean for any number of things. And, you know, if you became unclean, you had to wash yourself and still be unclean until the evening. (laughs) I'm not quite sure I understand all of that. But if you're a mature Christian, you really should read through Exodus and Leviticus sometime. Even though it's a little heavy reading. You really should. And and you should ask yourself. Why? You should think about. How costly it was. To be a Hebrew. It was not cheap. I mean. It took. Sacrifices. Galore. Where did they all come from? You know. I, I pondered that one time. And I. I came to the conclusion, you know, I did a little math and everything. and I came to the conclusion that the only way all those Hebrews, all of those Hebrews could afford all those sacrifices. I mean, one day Solomon killed a thousand sacrifices in a day. Where did all those animals come from? I mean, and that made a lot of blood, too, by the way. Where did they all come from? Well, the only way I could figure out that they could afford all those sacrifices was because God blessed them and multiplied their stock. I think that's the only way they could afford it. Well, <clears throat> now, if you're a immature Christian, you might find reading all the way through Leviticus quite tedious And uh, you might get a little bogged down, but uh, as soon as you are mature enough to handle it, I uh, recommend it that you read all the way through and you discover how expensive sin is and that you begin to understand the cost of salvation. And now I want to add to that, that once you have gone through all of that and you've comprehended, at least in a measure, how much it took to be reconciled to God. How many sacrifices. You know, they had trespass offerings and wave offerings and grain offerings and fresh fruit offerings and firstborn offerings and uh, probably some more yet. And loads of ways in which you could be unclean. And yeah, like I said, you'd even be unclean after you washed until evening. It took loads of silver and sacrifices and if you weren't willing to do all those things cut off from among your people there was the death penalty for many many things even accidental things and there was a city of refuge for those accidental things you know but that was a lifelong limitation you had to stay in the city Until the high priest died. Yeah. Sin stains. Are deep. Much deeper than we actually comprehend. Much deeper. And if you aren't willing to do all those things. Killed. The price. Of your life. Cut off from among your people. I don't know if you can get a hold of all of that. I find it difficult. Surely, having seen all of that, surely, we would say to ourselves, I'll never do that again. But no. Sin embeds itself into our souls much deeper than that, and we cannot extract it. How many of you know what it feels, what it's like to say, well, uh, that was wrong. I'll do better. I I won't do it again. Promise. Promise. I I won't do it again. Uh, No, promise. This time I'm really serious about it, and and I'll, I'll not do it again. Only to discover how sinful you are, how many of you know what that feels like? Yeah, yeah you know you had that besetting sin, whatever it is for you, you know, probably most of us have one somewhere, and we no uh, that's wrong i'll, I'll never do it. I, I won't I won't do it again, only to discover that sin has a vice grip hold on you. Right? Well, praise God for the power that can release even the vice grip hold. It can. And and we can live, in case you're thinking I'm saying you can't, you can live victoriously. You can. And most of us still don't. That's the honest truth. But you have the power to do so, you have the provision. He has provided all things, all things, that we may live godly in Christ Jesus. It's provided. But sin has a very. Deep stain. A very deep stain. Well. Uh-huh. If you comprehended the Old Testament law. And the, pra- the sacrifices. And the rituals. And the things that you needed to do. To be brought back to favor with God. And uh, you went through all of that. And you will discover that the Hebrews, even though they did all those things, and even though they were brought back into reconciliation with God, yet it was not a perfect reconciliation. And every year, they had to make another sacrifice. Kick the can down the road a little further. Every year, they had to make a sacrifice for the past. And Hebrews tells us, Let me just read that uh, for you in Hebrews. Appreciate the other verses in Hebrews that we heard this morning. Hebrews 10. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually, continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. And that's why Jesus needed to come. All of those sacrifices in the Old Testament, all of them put together, and the altar fires were never to go out. They had to keep on doing sacrifice daily and keep the fire burning. 24-7. 24-7. All the time. Smoke before God. Smoke, more smoke, smoke, and more smoke. And because they were doing that, God withheld his judgment on them. But it could never quite finish it. It could never quite atone. <clears throat> we have a wonderful song about that. I'd like to read it. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they my faith would lay her hand on that dear head of thine, while like a penitent I stand and there confess my sin. My soul looks back to see the burdens thou didst bear when hanging on the cursed tree and hopes her guilt was there. Believing we rejoice to see the curse removed, we bless the land with cheerful voice and sing his bleeding love. Beautiful song. No, all the, all the sacrifices put together could not pay the price. Could not pay the price. Someone greater than that needed to be found. Uh, and there was a search made in heaven for that. We can read about that in Revelations. And uh, John was there watching. And they searched throughout all of heaven. And there was none, not one, that could be found in all of heaven. Not even Gabriel the the archangel. Not worthy to open the book. And John began to weep. Then an angel said, no John, don't weep. Look, the Lamb... That was slain is worthy to open the book. I don't know if that gets you entirely. I I don't know if you comprehend. I, I don't think I do. But one and only one, God Himself, was worthy to pay the price. That's pretty expensive. That's pretty expensive. The cost is greater, much greater than my comprehension. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a vineyard, which was lent out to husbandmen to care for. And when the fruits, time of fruits had come, there was none. The husbandman didn't give any of the fruits to the Lord of the vineyard. So he sent messengers unto them. And I think we all understand this parable to mean that God sent prophets and and the Old Testament scriptures to the people. That they might bring forth fruits of righteousness. And they turned them away. Some they beat, others they killed and, and would not listen. And in the end, the owner of the vineyard said, I will send my son that he might gain the fruits of righteousness. So God sent his very own son. And what did they do to him? They killed him, right? Right. Jesus, think about this, Jesus, the Lamb of God, came to bear our sins and to take his, all the punishment in his own human body. And they killed him, rejected him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That goes on. I'll just stop there. I'd like you to think about Gethsemane for a moment. There in Gethsemane, where Jesus, knowing about the sacrifice that he was about to make, went through the the emotional trauma and agony ahead of time he was there praying before the father and he said oh this cup this cup if, it's, if there's any way we could do it without this ugly cup of indignation and he sweat great drops of sweat as it were Blood dripping to the ground. I don't think that's very easy, do you? The emotional drag that he faced as he paid the price for you and me. As the weight of sin fell on his shoulders and his, he took upon himself, and I should say be, before this that we also understand that, that God decided that since everything else is, you know, maybe that was from the beginning of the, of the earth too, but, but God decided to come himself and, and be one with us, as it were. He took upon himself the form of man and being made in flesh like men, Able to fail, if you will. He took upon himself all of the aspects of being human. And the scriptures tell us that he was in all points tempted like as we are. Without sin. Isn't that amazing? He met the devil face on. And the devil gave him his hardest temptations and Jesus failed not not once he was perfect though he in was in the body of flesh he was perfect and now having lived his entire perfect life and having explained the kingdom of heaven to everyone now he comes And he takes the responsibility for all of our sins. He takes them on himself. If you can comprehend that, please help me out because I can. not I don't get that. I, I don't comprehend entirely all of that. But it must have been ginormous. Yeah, I mean, to take upon himself all the sins of this world. What an emotional drag. And he was in the Garden of Eden, or or Garden of Gethsemane, and sweat great drops of blood falling to the ground for that. I remind you, he could have backed away from it right there. He could have said, now, uh, think we'll just, just forget it. We're not going there. That's more than I can take. No. Just, he could have done that. It was not like Jesus was caught in some machine which was sucking him in and he couldn't rescue himself. No, no. He was there 100% willingly. I don't get that either. Uh, Now I want you to think about Pilate a little bit. And and Caesar. Taking before these men. Who act like the kings of the earth. And they're not really. They're just sort of taking that. And he gets challenged. And. And. Can you imagine that? How would you do in a circumstance like that? And Pilate acts like he has authority over him. And Jesus simply reminded him, no, I'll tell you the truth. You don't have any authority over me. Except for what I gave you. I gave you the authority to kill me. It's the only reason you have authority at all. And he didn't say this, but he could have said, uh, I'd have 10,000 angels at my disposal. How would you like to see that? But he didn't. He had a plan in mind. I'll take you to the next circumstance. Uh, re- Jesus is now delivered to the Roman guard. The Praetorium, I think they call it. And those Roman guards were nasty fellows. And they reveled in torture. And they were going to have a good time now with this uh, poor old Jew fellow that was uh, condemned to die. And we're going to have a party over this. And they got together and they began to do every despicable thing they could think of right then. Uh, they slapped him. And they... Uh, spit on him and they got some of those big thorns that grow over there in Israel and it's one of those big long spikes on them and they made a crown out of thorns imagine that and they put this crown of thorns on his head and whacked him with a reed and, ha hail king of the Jews ha How could you take that? Would it get your anger? Could you take that? And they acted like... Yeah, you know the story. And they scourged him. Oh, that's an awful picture. If you know anything about the scourge. They beat him up. Until the scripture says his visage was marred beyond that of any man. Now, I've been to funerals sometimes when you can hardly recognize the person who's been in an accident, you know, and they got all battered up and they don't even look like themselves anymore. And maybe all of you have been to a funeral like that, too. I don't know. It's kind of shocking, isn't it? To see someone... So battered up you don't even recognize them anymore. Well, Jesus was so battered up that you wouldn't recognize him anymore. And he was still alive. He was not yet in the coffin. He was still living, bleeding, suffering. It still hurt that moment. I think it would be shocking to see that. More shocking than I can comprehend. I don't know about you, but shocking. Yeah. The price of sin. You would think we would get it, wouldn't you? You would think so. <clears throat> In spite of this enormous price that's been paid. And the debt fully canceled when Jesus died. And the divine love that made him do all of that. If you aren't touched by all of that, could you at least be touched by the love that would take your place for that? That Jesus would so love the world that he himself would come to bear that so you wouldn't have to? Yeah. Divine love. What a wonderful, wonderful Savior who would die for me. I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood. He fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his blood, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair I saw my sins, his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom shed. I die that thou mayst live. Oh, can it be upon a tree the Savior died for me? My soul is thrilled. My, my heart is filled to think He died for me. King of my life, I crown Thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget Thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary. Show me the tomb where thou wast laid, tenderly mourned and wept, where angels in robes of light arrayed guarded thee whilst thou slept. And let me, like Mary through the gloom, come with a gift to thee. Show to me now the empty tomb and lead me to Calvary. May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for thee, even the cup of grief to share, Thou hast borne all for me. Lest I forget thine. Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me. To Calvary. And there's so much more. Uh, I can't. I'm just running out of time. I, I can't say all the things that I could say. About this. This is. Something that we could preach all week on, I believe. This cost, this love, this indefinable atonement. But what do I want you to take away today? I want you to take away the awesome price of sin. I want you to be awed by the price of sin. I want you to be thrilled by the great love that paid that price. I want you to be fully motivated, determined never to sin again, to be perfect, to be holy, holy. I had a message on holy, holy, right? Add that. We should be doing our very, very best. And we should take inventory pretty often. And like the opening there, we should lay aside every weight which does beset us. And we, we should receive... The Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. Something I missed up above here. This new thing that God has promised to do to us in the New Testament, which was not in the Old Testament, that he would put his spirit within you. So that you could be quickened by his spirit. And in spite of all of that, we still come short, don't we? Sin's pretty deep, isn't it? Okay, so, we should willingly, aggressively seek His Spirit, consciously, deliberately, and continuously want His Holy Spirit. Is anyone truly perfect? No. But we should be truly humbled by that. I mean really humbled by that. And we should see our continuing need for mercy. And we should recognize everyone else needs that mercy too, you know. And encouragement. We should never excuse sin. No excuse. No excuse for sin. And we must forgive to be forgiven. I've appreciated some of the messages we've had recently on forgiveness. Add all that to it. We should be compassionate, long-suffering, gentle, meek, kind, forbearing, Forgiving, holy, harmless. To be like Jesus. This is my earnest, constant desire. To be like Jesus. To be at one with him. That's what atonement is. This entire process is what brings us into oneness with our Creator. Atonement is more than something that happened 2,000 years ago on a cross on Calvary's Mount. Atonement is bigger than that. That was necessary. Couldn't be done without it. But truly being brought into oneness with our maker is so much more than that. I hope I have inspired you with those thoughts. I hope I have given you an earnest desire to become one with your creator. It's much bigger than my comprehension.